All right, if you're following along, we're going to be in Acts 12 today, where we get to see a beautiful, amazing moment in the early church. So amazing that multiple characters are not going to believe what they're seeing, even though they're there. Um, And we start with cue Peter in prison again. All right. The night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep, fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Others stood guard at the prison gates. Suddenly, there was a bright light in the cell, and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, Quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrists. Then the angel told him, Get dressed and put on your sandals. And he did. Now put on your coat and follow me, the angel ordered. So Peter left the cell following the angel. But all the time, he thought it was a vision. He didn't realise it was actually happening. They passed the first and second guard posts and came to the iron gates leading to the city, and this opened for them all by itself. So they passed through and started walking down the street, and then the angel suddenly left him. Peter finally came to his senses. It's, It's really true, he said. The Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from what the Jewish leaders had planned to do to me. When when he realised this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. He knocked on the door, uh, sorry, he knocked on the gate in the door, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to open it. When she recognised Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everyone, Peter is standing at the door. You're out of your mind, they said. When she insisted, they decided it must be his angel. Meanwhile, Peter continued knocking. When they finally opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. He motioned for them to quiet down and told them how the Lord had led him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers what has happened, he said. And then he went to another place. Morning, everyone. Amazing book, the story uh, of Acts, the story of the early church. And there's all these incredible stories. And here, probably what would most obviously be seen, and in fact, what the you know the headings that the editors of the version of the scriptures I have have called Peter's miraculous escape from prison. And there's lots of stories in the Bible about Peter, and he's a great guy, and you know goes through highs and lows, and someone we can probably all relate to at different periods in our life. But I actually wanted to look at a different person in this story this morning. And I wanted to ask the question, why is Rhoda mentioned in the Bible? <laughs> What's Rhoda doing in there? How many people have heard of Rhoda before this morning? She's not quite so famous as Peter. She's just a servant girl. She's a nobody. She's an ordinary, everyday person. And yet, her story is in the scriptures. And I've been pondering this uh, this week in preparation for today. Why is it that Rhoda's story is included here? And I think there's a few reasons. One is, it's funny. Right? It's meant to be amusing. It's meant to be one of those kind of like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that story. It's one of those kind of stories that we all tell each other. In the middle of a pretty dark time, as we'll see, in some pretty tragic moments, there is humour and joy to be found in just the weird everyday human interactions and the way that we relate to each other. Secondly, though, I think her story is really authentic. It just is really relatable. It's the kind of story I know that I would tell. Have you got one of those stories that you tell where you've kind of met someone who's maybe important or famous and you did something really stupid? Anyone got those kind of stories? My story is I was at an event once and I met this speaker who was 
one of the Australian cricket team, uh, and he was speaking and we were sitting at the table beforehand and I got introduced to him and I wasn't prepared to shake hands and he put his hand out to shake my hand and I put my hand out and knocked an entire jug of water straight into his lap. And he got up to speak and looked like he'd wet himself. Um, it was my fault. You know, it's that kind of story, right? Like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that. It's such an authentic, relatable story. This amazing thing happens to this really famous person and she's like, you know, that like I just left him at the door and I just like just walked away and I didn't even let him in. It's very authentic and relatable. And Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, seems to really intentionally want to tell us these ordinary, everyday, relatable stories about people just like us who might not ever get top billing. The editors of the scriptures might never put their name in the heading of what's going on. And yet, these are the kind of stories that the early church is all about. This is a story of real people who are asking real questions. This series um, that we're looking at as we look at these snapshots in the book of Acts, we've talked about this question of where to from here or what's next. And it's a question that lots of people are asking themselves. It's a question that we've been asking ourselves as a church as we think about some pretty big changes coming. But it's a question I think our whole world is kind of asking, particularly coming out of the last couple of years. It's a question most of us ask, you know, regularly throughout our lives. Where to from here? What next? And the way that Luke tells this story is not just a story of kind of the big famous people. It's not a story of one or two, but it's a story that captures and involves and is a part of all kinds of ordinary people's lives. And I wonder whether Rhoda would ever have imagined that 2,000 years later, on the other side of the world, people would be talking about her and that silly interaction she had and that embarrassing story about how she forgot to open the door. But these are the kind of stories that tell us about the power of God at work and that God wants to speak through us three. And as I wondered about Rhoda this week, I guess I wondered whether you might ever think that your story is the least likely to be told, (laughs) that your story is a bit ordinary, that your story um, wouldn't be something that other people would necessarily want to hear and certainly not 2,000 years in the future. And yet, God loves to tell the stories of ordinary people who are in a place where they are seeing and responding to what our extraordinary God is doing. So we're going to unpack this story in um, Acts chapter 12 a little bit more this morning. And as we've been doing the last couple of months, if you've got the Bible app on your phone, uh, you can follow along. This is the first time I've kind of used it as a, you know, for a sermon outline. So I feel like you like get to see inside my head as you go, right, okay, this is Melinda's thinking and how it's laid out. But just, I guess, some, some kind of couple of ideas and thought starters that you might want to take notes for. And I would always say, if you're listening to someone like me stand at the front and speak and you're reading the scriptures and there's an opportunity to take notes, here's my top tip for you. Don't write down what I'm saying. (laughs) Write down what you think God is saying to you. You That's been one of the most freeing things for me about taking notes at conferences and events and throughout sermons is uh, the goal is not to capture what someone else is saying. Actually, how is what they're saying connecting with my life and what's going on and what is it that I want to remember that I think God might be saying to me? So... Use the opportunity to write down what it might resonate for you this morning. But let me just recap a little bit. The story so far of this series, we're looking at these snapshots of the early church as they ask this question, what's next? 
where to from here? Jesus uh, has been raised from the dead and he has promised to pour out his Holy Spirit and then he's disappeared from view and then they have this incredible experience at Pentecost and now they're trying to figure out what it looks like to live as God's people in this new reality. And last week we looked at the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, another kind of, you know, ordinary character, this Ethiopian eunuch who we just hear a glimpse of and then never hear from again and yet his story invites us so powerfully to reflect on what it might look like to respond to Jesus ourselves, to consider baptism, to consider following Jesus. And this morning we're jumping into chapter 12. Now, we kind of skipped over a couple of big chapters in here, right? There's a couple of major things that you might want to go and catch up on that happened. You know, just, just little things like the Apostle Paul, the guy who like was trying to kill them a couple of weeks ago, actually meeting Jesus and being blinded by the reality that Jesus is raised from the dead and like having his whole life turned upside down and becoming the most famous preacher of the gospel probably ever to live. Just that story. That's in there. Uh, And then there's another little story that we've skipped over about Peter having a vision about people who weren't Jews uh, actually being invited into the kingdom and the Spirit of God being poured out onto the Gentiles, which basically means that, you know, anyone who's not a Jew can actually be a part of the church now, like the rest of us, us, all of us here today. Just that little story. So we just skipped over a couple of little stories because we want to talk about Rhoda. I love that that's the way that God sometimes works, that we are invited into the big important stories and the more everyday interactions. So let me give you a little bit of the backstory that um, I didn't ask Irene to read, because I wanted to focus on that story of Peter and Rhoda. But to put it into its context, the first four verses of this chapter tell us what's actually going on in the bigger picture, and it's pretty dark. We read in verse 1, about this time that King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some of the believers in the church. And he actually had the Apostle James, John's brother. So James and John, the sons of Zebedee, two of the fishermen who become disciples of Jesus who are mentioned time and time again in the the Gospels. James is killed with a sword. This is the first of the 12 apostles we actually read of, the 12 disciples being killed. And when Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people. So James is killed and the public has a party and says, great, excellent, Good on you for getting rid of him. So then Herod decides to arrest Peter. And this all takes place during the Passover celebration. He imprisons Peter, places him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers and intends to bring him to trial, out for a public trial after the Passover. Things are about as bad as they can be for the early church, particularly if you're thinking of the stories of the first leaders of these disciples. James is dead. Peter is in prison. Where to from here? Well, I'm pretty sure there'd be some people thinking maybe we just pack up our bags and go home. (laughs) Is there any point of going on from here? If this is where the story is leading, is that what I'm up for? This is a pretty dark moment in the history of the church. Things are about as bad as they can get, and so what does the church do? Have a look at verse 5. But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. I've really been captured by that verse this week. The church prayed earnestly for him. When things are about as bad as they can get, what does the church do? They hold a prayer meeting. They get together and they ask God to be at work. Now, I don't know uh, how much experience you've had with prayer meetings. I've been in a few in my life. Uh, And when I was preparing today's message, on Canva, I googled, like, you know, I searched for a picture of a prayer meeting, and this was the first picture that came up, and it just made me laugh. 
because this is like the most awkward photo ever, right? Who would ever sit like that and hold hands like that? And then the one guy, he's got his eyes open. He's just going, what is going on here? What are these weird people doing? And that's a little bit of some of my experience of church prayer meetings. We get a bunch of people in a room together and we all close our eyes and sometimes someone really awkwardly makes you hold hands and we try and like say what we want to say to God, but together and in front of each other. And it's really awkward and it's really difficult and a lot of people are like, I don't know what to say and I don't know how to pray and like everybody else is going to hear what I pray and everyone else is going to hear what I'm thinking and like what's the point of all this? And yet... When things are about as bad as they can be, the early church earnestly prays. They gather together and they pray. For all the stereotypes about prayer meetings and the awkwardness and maybe the sense that it's something that old people do and it's a little bit out of date and a little bit passe, the invitation throughout the story of God is for the people of God to gather and pray. Now, I don't know, maybe we need to find new ways of doing this because I'm not sure how many of us would be that keen to sit on like a slightly awkward couch and hold hands really weirdly. And, you know, like, we could probably go back to the verse before and not keep looking at those poor people in their awkward prayer meeting. <laughs> but my question that I want to ask you this morning and my question that I want to ask us as a church this morning is where is this happening for us? Where are we praying together? Who are you praying with When things are bad, when things are about as bad as they can get, when there are questions, when we're asking what's next, where to from here, the scriptures invite us as the people of God to gather and pray. You know, Jesus had a lot to say about his people praying together. He said, when two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. This is why the church has prayer meetings, (laughs) because Jesus promises to be there with us when we gather together to pray. Jesus says, when the two or three of you agree in my name, I tell you that what you ask for on earth is done in heaven. There is incredible power, Jesus promises, when the church gathers to pray. It's a little bit like focusing on Rhoda's story in the middle of Peter's story. (laughs) A prayer meeting looks like the most ridiculous thing to do. It looks the least likely the most unexpected, the least powerful, the least happening place. And yet God says, that's where I am present. That's where I am at work. That's where my power is made known. As before, I've had a lot of awkward experiences of prayer meetings over the years, but I've also seen God do some incredible things when I think about it. The church that I was at uh, for a long time was at Blackwood Hills Baptist for about 17 years. Every Tuesday morning, there was a prayer meeting. And it was basically a group of older men, retired men, about six or seven of them who would come at 7am every morning and they would pray over the cards that people in the Sunday service would write on. So people on a Sunday would get a little card, you know, again, talking old school, talking 90s into early 2000s, people would write what's going on in their lives and what they would need to be prayed for. And these men would come faithfully every week and take those cards and pray. And I am very excited to get to the new creation when all is revealed and to see how many people are there and how many people's lives were transformed and changed because of what that group of old men prayed for. People who never knew them, people they never met, people that God was powerfully at work in their lives because those guys faithfully prayed. 
Over the last few years, I've had the privilege being on the pastoral team here in various shapes and forms, and we've met each week to pray. And it's been such a sustaining rhythm of my own faith to pray with other people. I became a Christian when I was about 15, 16 in the 1990s and what I was taught about prayer is that you should kind of go into your room by yourself in the dark, have a quiet time, pray to God. And if I'm honest, I've I've often found that really hard. I don't tend to like being alone (laughs) and I'm not very good at just like in my own thoughts, I tend to get in my own head and overanalyze and overthink things. To sit with other people and together come before God recognising his presence and ask him to be at work and speak has been transformative. And so again, I want to ask, where are we doing that? Who are you praying with? Earlier this year, um, we had a prayer night here. Uh, We had a prayer night, I think it was for a few different things. Um, I kind of particularly think about what was happening in Ukraine and Myanmar. Then we'd done a series looking at... um, looking at prayer, um, so you see how, how bad my memory is in terms of exactly how it came about. But we had a prayer meeting in the back hall. Adrian organised it. I think it was on a Tuesday night. And there was four of us, um, which is pretty reflective of my understanding of the stats across the Australian church today, that the prayer meeting is the least attended meeting of any church. And it was one of the most powerful experiences I've had in the last year. Um, it was Brad and Adrian and um, Andrew and I, and we prayed about the situation in Ukraine and Russia And we prayed this psalm and we basically prayed about Putin, which it was not a prayer that I'd ever planned to pray or ever thought of praying. And yet something happened when we gathered together, when we read the scriptures together, when we intentionally set aside time to listen to each other's thoughts and prayers. And, you know, it it was a bit awkward. I'm trying to remember. Like, I think some people were sitting down and some people were standing up and there wasn't very many people there. And it it wasn't as awkward as that photo, let's be honest. We weren't holding hands. Um, And yet... And yet, God was present and at work because we, as his people, gathered to pray. And I know that that's not been a big part of my own journey. There's kind of few things I mentioned where I see it at work. And I know for many of you, this is a real challenge. A lot of people find it difficult to pray in groups. A lot of people find it awkward to pray out loud. It feels like other people are judging and assessing our prayers. I don't know how we got to that point, that somehow a prayer meeting is about, you know, assessing how well someone else speaks. Because I'm pretty sure that's not what's going on here in the early church. When things are as bad as they can get, when they have a great big need, the church gathers and they pray. Okay, I probably should move on, but that's probably my first big challenge for you today to take away. Who are you praying with? Where are we as a church praying together? Because what this story tells us is that when God's people pray, God does amazing things. So then we get this incredible story that Irene shared with us, that Peter, you know, the famous guy, the story that's going on for him, is in response to this prayer meeting that's happening behind the scenes. And in response to what they have asked God for, Peter experiences such a miracle that he doesn't actually believe it's true. Like he's in the middle experiencing it and he's going, nah, this is just a dream. This is just a vision. This isn't actually happening to me because it's so out of the box. It's so unexpected. God does a miracle. And it's funny, um, Nate was talking about this earlier in the week and we sort of used the phrase, you know, God does the very thing they were asking for. But I realise it doesn't actually tell us what they asked for. And I do wonder, because in my experience of prayer meetings, if we're praying for someone in prison, what would we actually pray 
I reckon we'd pray prayers like, God, please be with them. Please help him get through this. Please give him comfort and peace. Help him know he's not alone. I'm not sure that we'd actually be praying, God, can you like miraculously break him out of prison and close the eyes of the guard so that they don't notice and like send an angel to unlock his chains? And yet that's what God does in response to their prayers. God is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. It's what Paul writes in the letter to the Ephesian church. God is able to do immeasurably more than all that we can ask or even imagine. Not only, but yeah, we can ask a lot and we can imagine a lot. And God can do not just a little bit more than that, immeasurably more. When we pray, when we ask God, God is able to do things beyond our comprehension. God is able to do miracles. And so then we get to Rhoda's story. She has been part of this prayer meeting. They're at the home of Mary and she is a servant, we're told. So quite possibly Mary's servant if she's the one that's sent to the door. This is kind of the house in which she serves. And, but she's been there. She's been a part of this. And there's a knocking at the door. And so I was like, okay, someone's come to join the prayer meeting. Better go and let them in. And there standing at the door is the very person that they've just been praying for supposed to be in prison. And she is amazed. She sees, and do you know, she's actually the only person in this story who believes what's happening, right? Peter doesn't believe it himself. The rest of the church, when she tells them, they're like, nah, that's just, it must be, an, you know, it must be a ghost. It must be an angel. She sees it and she's amazed and overwhelmed because God has done the thing that they've been asking for, or perhaps even immeasurably more than what they've been asking for. And she's so overwhelmed that embarrassingly, she slams the door in his face and runs off to tell people without actually letting him in. Have you had that experience? What has God done that you have asked him for? What prayers have you prayed that God has answered? And perhaps the questions that raises is, have you noticed? Have you looked for them? Have you seen how God has been at work? Or are you more like Peter and the church who say, ah, oh, there must be another explanation. Maybe it was just a coincidence. Maybe that would have happened anyway, even if I didn't pray for it. Maybe what, you know, what's going on is actually just other people making decisions and kind of logic it out. In the first century context, they kind of spiritualise it out. They're like, oh, it must be an angel, it must be a ghost, it must be a vision, it must be a dream. I'm sure there's some people who dismiss today what God is doing on that basis. I'll put my hand up. I'm more the other way. I'm more logic it out. Oh, it's a coincidence. It would have happened anyway. It was just, you know, people just made their right decision. Where are we looking for God to actually be at work and answer the prayers that we are praying? <laughs> Where are we noticing God doing not just what we ask, but immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. I was trying to think this week about some of the prayers that I've prayed. And there are prayers that I've prayed that God hasn't answered or I haven't seen or can't quite yet see how he's answered. But in, what, 20-something years of following Jesus, if I sit down and think about it, I could actually come up with quite a long list of things that I have prayed for that God has done what I've asked and beyond what I could even expect. But it took sitting down and trying to think about it to actually bring them to mind and to remind me. I don't know, I don't know what it says about me and maybe it's just me, but I'm seeing some nods out there. Where are we looking for God to be at work in answer to our prayers? 
Where is God doing more than we can ask or expect? A couple of things, two two stories I thought I'd share. Um, For many years when I first became a Christian, and particularly like in my 20s, um, if I was asked to pray for people, in particular think of people in my life who don't know Jesus, there was a bit of a list of people I would have, you know, of the people that in my life who I love, that I'm close to, that I'd really pray for them to come to know Jesus. And I prayed for a lot of them for many years, and I still pray for some of them, and it's hard to keep praying faithfully for people when nothing seems to be happening. Let me tell you two stories. My best friend from high school, um, I mentioned her a few times, I think, in this place because she was actually the one who invited me to youth group and through whom I, you know, at youth group I met Jesus and decided to follow him. But after we went to uni, we kind of went our separate ways, went to different unis and she got involved in um, some relationships and some sort of kind of stuff at Jesus that took her away from the church and eventually took her away from God. And I remember praying for her so earnestly. And in fact, I remember gathering together, particularly with some of our friends from youth group and her sister, and praying, like a prayer meeting. We would get together and we would pray for God to be at work in her life. And we would pray and we would pray. 20 years later, she rings me up. She lives on the other side of the world now. And she says, um, I know, like I'd actually told her I was coming over. She's like, you know you're coming over. Um, I'm actually going to get baptised because I've come back to faith in Jesus and I put my trust in him and you know, I want you to be there for my baptism. This was just a couple of years ago, just before COVID. And we were going to the church there and the pastor who was baptising her came up to me and he said, oh, she told me a little bit about the story and she, she told me that you've been praying for her for 20 years. And I said, you know what, if I'm really honest, I prayed for her for about five years. And for the last 15 years, I've kind of just been like, that just never seems like it's going to happen. And every now and then I might throw up a kind of half-hearted prayer. But God was faithful and God did a miracle in her life. Another person who has always been on my list of people to pray for has been my stepfather. He's been my stepfather, was my stepfather, um, from when I was seven years old. So part of my life for almost 40 years. And... He had no interest in church and, you know, kind of rubbished it a little bit and was, you know, never interested in conversations about God and we never had that kind of relationship and I could never talk to him about my faith and, you know, I've gone on and done all these things and become a pastor and it was just, like, not part of it. And I would, again, pray for him earnestly when I was younger, when I first became a Christian, and then probably a bit half-heartedly over many, many years because it just seemed impossible. It seemed a task that was way too big. And then last year when he was dying of cancer, I had the opportunity to sit in his hospital bread and pray the Lord's Prayer with him. And if you'd have told me even two years ago, let alone 20 years ago, that that would ever happen, I would have told you you were crazy. And I can't explain how all these things come to be, but I'm pretty sure that there's something about the prayers that have prayed that bring about the opportunities to see God answer the prayers that have been prayed. Does that make sense? (laughs) If we're not, you know, if we're not praying, then how are we going to see God answer those prayers? But if we are praying, where are we looking to see God at work and answer those prayers? Now, don't hear me wrong, I said, I don't want to stand up here as if, you know, my prayers are always powerful and effective. There's plenty of things and plenty of people in my life that I am still praying for. But where has God done amazing things in response to your prayers? And where are we telling those stories? Where are we sharing them with one another? Where are we noticing them ourselves? And where are we sharing them with one another so that we might be encouraged too? I said, the rest of the church doesn't actually believe Rhoda at first. They're just like, that's not possible. That's not what could have happened. You must be making that up. You must be dreaming. You must be seeing an angel or a ghost. And then Peter comes in and they hear the story and they are amazed. What were they expecting when they were praying for Peter? 
And that's kind of my final question for us this morning. What are we expecting when we pray? I said, were they, were they actually asking for God to set Peter free? Or were they just praying small prayers? God, just be with him, comfort him, help him out while he's going through his really difficult time. How big are our prayers? If God is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, what are we asking and what are we imagining? As I said, Jesus has a lot to say about prayer. And he makes really big statements. He makes me nervous. Can I tell you, Jesus makes me nervous? He makes me nervous as a preacher standing up here because Jesus says like, things like, ask and it will be given to you. Pray and, you know, the power of heaven will be at work. And I'm like, man, I don't want to promise people that if they ask God for something, it's going to happen. But I'm not promising you. Jesus is. <laughs> he makes these really big statements. Do we take him up on them? Are we open to God doing big things in response to our big prayers? Are we open to God surprising us so much that we wouldn't quite be able to believe? And in fact, if we told other people, they might tell us that we're crazy. And that's just a ghost or a vision or a dream or a coincidence or something that would have happened anyway. What are we expecting God to do? So I guess my questions for you this morning are, who are we praying with? What are we expecting God to do? And how are we looking for God to answer our prayers? I could keep rambling on this morning about prayer, but really talking about prayer only gets you so far. <laughs> prayer is something that we're invited to participate in, to do together. And it might feel awkward and difficult, particularly doing it on the spot with other people around you out loud. But that's exactly what I'm going to challenge us all to do this morning. I want to invite us this morning to practice praying together. Because what I see and what I see in some of the nods that I've seen in this place this morning is we're not particularly good at this, praying together. We do find it a bit awkward. We do find it sometimes, you know, we're a bit worried about what to say and, and how to ask and it's not something that we necessarily devote a lot of our time to. And we've used this word practice at Richmond a lot, and it's one of my favourite words because the idea of practising something means you're allowed to be bad at it, right? Because you're just practising. I'm learning the cello, as you know, and I'm very bad at it. But, you know, it's really fun to, like, practise in front of you all, and thank you for your graciousness. <laughs> practising means you're allowed to be bad and awkward and just have a go. But I want to invite us to practice praying together this morning. So let me give you some instructions to try and make it as clear as possible so that you don't feel too awkward. What I'm going to ask you to do in a minute is grab someone next to you and pray with them. And I want to challenge you to pray a big prayer. So pray a prayer of expectancy. And so in order to do that, I've got some simple steps on the screen for you to follow along with. So you don't have to just, you know, come up with it all on your own. I'm going to invite you to pray with me and with one another all together this kind of big prayer. There are three elements to this prayer. The first one is actually naming what it is that's happening. So you'll see on the screen there, the first line of the prayer goes like this. Dear God, the big need that I see right now is... Now, it might be something in our world. You might want to pray for Myanmar or Ukraine or starvation of, um, in Africa like we did last week. Or it might be something big in your own life. It might be a big need of our church, like, you know, a building. Um, what is a big need that you see right now? I'm going to challenge you with someone else listening to name that out loud before God, to pray it. 
Second line of that prayer is this. And so my prayer is that you, God, would do something. If you've named the need, what is it that you're going to ask God to do about it? And you can ask God to do something small. But I want to challenge you to ask God to do the big thing. If it's a big need and we've got a big God, let's ask him the big prayer. And the third and final line of the prayer is simply this. Help me to look expectantly for you to answer my prayer. Because one of the things that happens when we pray together and pray out loud, there's something that happens when we say things out loud and particularly in the presence of others that kind of confirms them and affirms them and makes them real. Like not that they're real, not real beforehand, you know what I mean? And they stick with us. So it's one of the reasons why we sing songs together in church, right? We do it together and we do it out loud and then those words kind of stay with us and go with us and shape and form us. So my prayer for you this morning, what I've been praying in preparation is that by praying with someone else out loud, naming the need and asking God to do something, that you would be remembering to look for the answer and that we might see stories from this church, stories of people who might see themselves like Rhoda and think, who am I and what has my story got to tell who can say, I prayed this big prayer and look at what God has done. So does that all make sense? So I'm going to give you a couple of minutes to turn to the person next to you and you have to, you know, take it in turns. One of you can pray and then the other and to pray this simple three-line prayer, inserting your own big need and your own request for God to be at work. And then I'll come back and pray for us all in a couple of minutes. Let's pray. King Jesus... We thank you that you are able to do immeasurably more than anything we can ask or even imagine. I thank you for the opportunity to pray together this morning, to be bold and brave, to pray in front of one another, to pray out loud and to pray big prayers. And we pray that you would help us as a church to be looking expectantly for how you are at work answering those prayers and to be sharing those stories with one another of what you have done. Amen.